Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. I recently discovered the work of Matt Utal, a travel and lifestyle photographer from New York, via the interview that he gave to photographer Dan Gennetti. I realized Matt has a lot of advice for the aspiring travel photographer, especially on how to find an audience, so I thought he'd make a terrific guest for our show. He graciously accepted my invitation and we had a great conversation just a few weeks ago. I hope you will appreciate it as much as I did, and please remember to leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. Now enjoy my interview with Matt Dutal. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Hi, Hugo. How are you? I'm doing good. What about you? What about your Christmas? What's coming up for you? Excellent. I'm actually up in my parents' house right now. We uh, escaped up north for a family uh, weekend or, well, a few days, like five, six days up here for the holidays. Uh, you're, you're normally based in New York City. Uh, right? Yeah, I'm normally in New York City, so I'm up in New Hampshire now, but... Uh, yeah, I'm down there and uh, was enjoying all the nice, lovely, warm weather we've been having. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit uh, unseasonal, I heard. Uh, really unseasonal. I mean, it's the warmest December on record for us, and then the warmest, uh, I think, going to be warmest Christmas we've ever had, too. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a good thing, I think. But yeah, anyway, let's, uh, let, let's talk about you and not about the weather. I always ask my guests to to introduce themselves to to tell us a bit about their their story their photography so well, you're i'm not making an exception for you so please uh, uh let, let us know about matt Dutal. um uh, well i uh, i originally started out i i only picked up a camera a little over seven years ago i was working in the um the public relations industry um, and uh, it was just something where I was looking for a hobby or something different to do than my job. I wasn't quite satisfied there, uh, so I found a good sale. I picked up a, a DSLR for the first time and uh, just started plugging away and you know finding finding what I liked about it, what was interesting. Um, and you know, I like to say it was a, a terrible first eight months. It was my experimentations with. Uh, HDR and uh, puppies and flowers and all sorts of terrible things that just didn't work out. Um, but, yeah, but in the end, I think it worked worked out beautifully. So. It, it did. It did work in my favor in the long haul for sure. But uh, you know, that's I think that's how everyone starts. You you get into it, you pick it up, you shoot everything and anything to start developing uh, a vision. What do you like out of it? What do you really want to shoot? Um, so I did that. I got into shooting more people which led me into fashion and lifestyle, and um, that's where I originally went. I moved to New York. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just checking since our audio drops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I moved uh, to New York with the intentions of uh, working in assisting. Um, unfortunately, I came during sort of the giant uh, bubble crash where uh, you know, lots of photographers were losing work. Uh, they weren't hiring the assistants they already had. Um, so I, I got a few gigs here and there, but nothing that was going to work out. Uh, so it sort of forced me to this precipice, um, and I started pushing my own work out there. And again, at the time, it, it was more lifestyle and fashion. So I started shooting tests with the different modeling agencies in town. Um, I had done that in Arizona, and I established connections there before moving. Uh, 
So I use those. Um, shooting tests, uh, shooting some small catalog work, really small things I had built up. And during that time, I, um, uh, I it wasn't quite clicking. I, I like to say I enjoyed it, but I have no passion for clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put them on me. I wear them. I enjoy appreciating them, but I have no more input other than that. <laughs> And uh, so how, how did you transition to, to travel photography? Uh, well, uh, so what I did is I actually just took a, a personal vacation um, to France and Italy and took some images. I brought them back. Uh, it, it gelled decently well with some photo editors and some uh, reps I've been talking with. And then um, I continued, uh, continued doing that. I booked another trip to Bermuda. I paid for it, self-funded it myself. It was uh, it was like seven hundred dollars for uh, six days there. Um, I brought it back with the intention of shooting for a travel look. I had looked at what other travel photographers were doing. I had been constantly looking at travel magazines. Um, what's working? What's the style? What kind of things do I want to be on the lookout for? So I did that. Went there to shoot for portfolio. Came back, I sent it out, and um, within a day after sending it out, I got an email back from one of the magazines, and they're like, this looks really great. Would you like to go to the Bahamas next week? <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, do you need to... What, what was your approach in that, in that respect? Did you email editors? How did you find their addresses? How, did you already have contacts because of your previous... Uh, Steens as a fashion or lifestyle photographer? Um, well, you know, the contacts are going to be completely different uh, between them, obviously, different uh, magazines, different ad, ad agencies. Um, I personally like to use Agency Access, which is a, a subscription-based service. It has the contacts of different art buyers, photo editors, creatives, all sorts um, in ad agencies and magazines, in travel companies, I mean, in all sorts. Um, and they keep it decently um, refreshed and updated. It is a subscription service, so it runs something like, uh, I want to say somewhere between $80 to $100 a month. Um, so it's a, it's a costly investment, but it does provide you updated contacts. And there you can check their emails and their phone numbers uh, if they have them listed. So if you want to get the, the contact number, the contact numbers or emails of the editors of, I don't know, Lonely Planet, you would yep. find them there and then you would just send, send the portfolios. And that, does it help to have, um, um, for instance, for a location like Bermuda, to mm -hmm. have like a consistent uh, uh, package with uh, images and maybe also text? Is that how you approach them? Um, you know, I usually send um, an email that uh, just gives them a very quick, hello, how are you? Here's a project I think you might resonate with. I'll try to maybe put one or two images within the email itself, and then um, I'll send them a link to like an online portfolio that has more where they can view. I found that's the best. If you attach too many images, it's going to bog down their em email system, and they may just not open it in general. And you run the risk of larger companies, their spam filters just simply rejecting you right away. Um, so there's, there's a balance between that. You want to get something in there a little bit so it catches their eye, but too much and you risk hitting the spam filters. <laughs> That's a technique I should try one day. Just 
get the get those addresses and start submitting my work. Too. Yeah, and I, and I do try to follow up with phone calls and things and book meetings. They're they're very difficult. Um, a lot of people will simply not pick up the phone, or if they do, they'll say thank you. Please send me a link to your website. <laughs> uh, it, it, they're just everyone's incredibly busy in the industry these days, so it's tough. So. When you do get the rare phone call connect and when you get the even rarer meeting, um, that's generally where I like to, uh, I don't say close the deal, but that's, that's where you have the better opportunity of presenting your personality, your vision, why they should work with you. So you recently started doing a, a book project about, uh, some, about your travel photography and so on. Yeah. And if you wanted to talk about, a bit about that, and especially if you think that having a book out Uh, would help with uh, getting recognition and maybe assignments? Um, you know what? Honestly, it's, uh, I don't think a book is going to make the difference one way or the other. It's a nice thing to have, but it's, it's really about the quality of your work in general and how you present that, whether you do it through a hard-printed pro, uh, promo when you go to meetings or, or portfolio or whether it's your website. It, it's really about presenting a cohesive vision and one that's functional and easy for uh, a creative buyer to go to and to look at and understand, like, who are you, what are you about, if I hire you, what kind of images am I going to get? Um, that's, that's really the questions they're looking to answer these days is, you know, do they, do they gel with your images? Do they think it's right for their client? And, um, you know, are you going to be someone that's easy to work with? <laughs> Anyway, let, let's talk a bit about your book more in, more in general. What's it sure. about? What's the title? Where can people find more about it? Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm titling this one uh, Connected, the Abbreviated Adventures of a Self-Described Idealist, uh, which I understand is a mouthful, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just Connected for short. Uh, and the idea behind, behind it, it actually started out as a, uh, a promotional piece. It was something I was going to send out like a small... Uh, soft cover e-zine to or a soft cover promotional book to different clients that I've worked with or that I want to sort of here's a larger sampling of my work um, put it in a really nice well-designed format for them and uh, I had enough interest within my own social network friends and family who said oh I'd, I'd really like one of those uh, that I just decided to throw it up on uh, Indiegogo and make it rather easy that way so it can say okay If you want it, here it is. Go get it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's up on Indiegogo. If you were to search uh, Connected um, and my name, uh, it would probably come up in the search bar there. And if not, I'm sure I can send you a link to it that you can uh, post along with this. So we are recording this right before Christmas. And uh, by the time this is published, which will be in a few weeks from now, the... I'm not sure the, the Indiegogo campaign will still be running, but in any case, we will put up a, a link on the show notes so people can, can go find more about it. And, uh, yeah, and, and I should have... Um, I, I, the Indiegogo is basically just to have an idea of how many extra copies on things I should order, but I'll, I'll probably order a, a decent amount over that too. So if it's something someone really wants, I'll still have enough available that they can uh, either go there or they'll send me an email and we can arrange it. Uh, who is the... Um, the publisher or the printing, uh, the printing press that you're using? Yeah, I'm working with the printing house uh, called Edition One. Uh, they're based out of Berkeley, California, um, and they just they produce a really quality look to it. Their, their covers are very nice. Their pages 
and printing is very well done. So I, I enjoy working with them. Have you thought about using a more popular uh, distributor like Blurb? Uh, you know what? I've looked at Blurb before and I've certainly I've printed a book with them before. Um, just like one or two copies for my own self. Uh, but uh, I haven't found their quality to be quite as good I was, as I would like it to be. They're a nice home bookmaker, but they're certainly not a, um, a fine art or not even necessarily. For the, the quality is almost there. It's just missing just that tad bit. So people that buy your book can expect a nice coffee table book. Very yeah, well printed. Extra quality than a blurb. High quality, yeah, sure. I know. I I, I love blurb, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's nothing to say against blurb. I think they again they do very well, and certainly for their price points, they do excellently. Um, it, it's just for this, I wanted to put together something that was a a little bit heftier, a little bit nicer, especially since it's going out to past and prospective clients. Yeah, yeah, understood completely. So can you tell us a bit about the destinations the, that are included in your book and maybe sure. some of your favorite destinations around the world? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's got a pretty decent sampling from a lot of my travel. I, I've been fortunate enough to uh, get to six continents now, so I'm uh, just short Antarctica. Um, but uh, this one will have uh, features from uh, China and India and um, Morocco and Madagascar and um, uh, the U.S. actually and Mexico and where else so it's it's going to have a good sampling uh peru and south america so it'll have a a good mix of different places and there's going to be um more than that in there but that's a, a good list of it i i would say probably my top two competing favorite countries are um between myanmar and madagascar um and specifically i guess myanmar what i really enjoy about it is that uh because it was uh shut away essentially from tourism or at least mass tourism, for 50, 60 years uh, because of a lot of international sanctions and a really repressive government um, that it had this effect of allowing the culture there to be sealed in and to develop and continue in its own traditions without a lot of the global um, westernization that's gone on through much of the rest of the world. There, You know, you're, you go there... There's no McDonald's. <laughs> there's uh, no Starbucks. There's very little influence on those things, and, and people still wear their traditional outfits. And they, um, it's a very strongly uh, Buddhist country, um, and they really hold on to those beliefs. So you're you're starting to see a little more integration and modernization in the cities now, uh, especially Yangon. Um, but the rest of them, you can really get out there and and, and meet some incredible people. Um, and really see culture that goes back for, you know, a hundred years. It's not too much changed. Unfortunately, I've never been to Myanmar. That's on my bucket list to, to yeah. go. But I've, I've been to Morocco more than once. And I've, uh, oh, that's great, I was buddy. looking at your, your pictures from, especially the ones from Chef Chewen, which is uh -huh. a, a place not many people, I think especially in the U.S., not many people know about that. It's... Uh, uh, this amazing blue city, where uh, in the uh, inside the ancient walls, all the houses are painted this uh, bright blue, yeah, tones of powder blue, even with uh, 
and you have some some great photos of the the people that are especially the women who walk along those uh, narrow alleyways dressed yeah. in traditional uh, robes with bright pink, yellow, orange colors yeah. that make a great contrast with the. With it the, it really the blue. pops out along the along the blue there. You know, it's it's really the colors are fantastic, and it is one of those things. Uh, again, with Morocco or, or Arabic countries, there is um, much more of the the taboo, the fadi against um, taking photos unaware of people. So it, it's a tough balance you have there, where you I try to approach people and ask for permission on portraiture. Always, you know, like I'm never going to get close to someone and take a photo. I always want permission first. Um, but when you have to capture those scenes, someone walking down an alley, um, coming around a corner, and, and you want to show that slice of life, um, what it's really like there, without um, the permission beforehand. I mean, there's really no way to capture it uh, that moment other than to just capture it and try to seek permission afterwards is usually what I do. Uh, so it's a balance between respecting the culture there um, uh, respecting people's privacy while, I mean, if you're on assignment, I have a job to do. I need to be able to show this. There's an educational value uh, to that aside from, you know, just your own unique wanting a photo. <laughs> uh, but, you, you know, you again, you try to strike a balance. You try to find what shows respect for the culture and the people there because that's ultimately what I want to do with my photography. If I, if I want people to come here, it's because what I see I feel I find really interesting. I think there's, uh, whether it's the culture, the colors, the people, there's something I value there, and that value comes out of respect. Um, yeah, I had the same impression. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit hard in Morocco to get, to, to photograph people. They yes. mostly don't like to be photographed, and they definitely do not like being photographed without uh, being asked. Yes, if they absolutely. spot you taking their picture, they will not react in a most of the time not react in a kind way not uh, really just, uh, <laughs> yeah yell at you i mean it's it's not nothing bad is really going to happen they might yell at you and and tell, tell, ask you to stop but it's it's yep. better if you ask but sometimes many times you will get a, a refusal that's just yeah, the way but, that, that, but that's the nature of when you're traveling different countries you're not always going to encounter ideal situations from uh, a photographic perspective and I, I don't think that means that you should go there and still take photos wanton regardless irrespective of their opinions in the culture you have to go there understanding that this is more of a taboo there understand why maybe if you can <laughs> and then try to approach that in the best manner possible while again if you're on assignment or something you you, you have to get it you have to get something done um, and whether it requires paying people a little bit here and there or whether it requires just trying over and over and over and finding the right people, you know, something's got to click. But you can't do it in a way that is just taking photos of people and injuring their impressions of you or of the world community in general. Yep. So uh, speaking of a uh, completely different topic, uh, yeah. what, what's in your bag when you travel? Uh, ah. How do you pack? How, many, how much equipment do you carry <laughs> along? And if you have any other suggestions in terms of uh, what to pack beside the, the photographic gear, uh, sure. in terms of clothes, do you always uh, use check your luggage? Do you mm -hmm. rather travel with a carry-on? 
Uh, you know what? I, I do have quite a system developed at this point. Um, I generally travel with two to three camera bodies. Uh, I'm a Nikon shooter myself, though. Uh, you know, if you're Canon or Pentax or Sony or whatever, um, whatever works for you, I say, is is what's going to do best. Um, I try traveling with um, uh, usually three to four lenses. Uh, I like um, like a good 24 to 70 and a 70 to 200 zooms. Allows me to cover a wide range of images and quickly change up in different scenarios. Um, then I, I'll usually bring a primer to a 50, um, maybe an 85 or something. It depends whether I see myself, uh, or you know, and I'll go and rent a lens here and there as well. Uh, do I see myself shooting more portraiture, more food, more, you know, depends on what the assignment is, what magazine I'm shooting for. Um, Beyond that, uh, I'll carry a whole range of filters with me, lots and lots of extra batteries just in case a charger breaks, which has happened before. <laughs> um, uh, lots of spare memory cards. Do you use flash a lot or not at all? Very little. I, I will bring one here and there. It depends on the nature of the assignments. I like to have one just in case. You know, if I'm running short on time, I need to get something at night. Um I'm not quite one who uses it as much. I know there are some people who prefer their speed lights or maybe like a larger quantum light if you're shooting some portraits here and there. It, it, it depends on um, the nature of the region I'm going to, how adventurous we're getting. Um, you know, if I'm shooting a more resort and luxury piece, I may have room to bring a bit more lighting, something like that. We're not going far. We can spend a little more time to set up. Uh, you know, if it's if I'm in Madagascar and trekking through the jungles, I'm going to bring a little bit less because I don't want to carry it, and there's not as much need there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and and most of that I will be able to check into a larger backpack, and I keep all the camera equipment on me at all times. Uh, that's just something I don't mess around with. I rarely check it. Again, the only times I'll check it is if I'm bringing a little more lighting equipment and there's no space to do otherwise. Um, and from there, again, it all depends on the region. Uh, if I'm at the resort uh, spot, I may pack a bigger suitcase with a bunch of different outfits and knickknacks here and there and um, extra backdrops and all sorts of things. And then if I'm going adventurous places, I'll try to bring a small duffel and, uh, you know, it just made two or three sets of clothes, something I know I can wear three or four days. I've taken to wearing these uh, Techwick sort of shirts and pants that allow me to uh, go anywhere and not have to do laundry too much. <laughs> Got any trips, interesting trips coming up? Um, you know, actually, it's nice. I have a little break right now. I... I spent, uh, I just got back about three weeks, or uh, maybe it's been a month now, but uh, I was on the road for almost four months, uh, pretty constantly. I, I'd get back to New York for like a week and a half, a week, and then off again. So I'm, uh, I'm nice to have a little downtime right now. I, I usually have a client that hires again for January and February, so I imagine um, I'll hear from them shortly and probably go somewhere for a week or two. Um, but other than that, it's it's nice to be back and to finally catch up is the big thing for me. I mean, I have a massive editing queue to get through. I'm really trying to redesign the website. Um, but that's the things you do. You you go, you travel, you shoot, um, you work the assignments, you make your money there, and then you come back 
and you re-get into marketing, you go back to meetings, you make phone calls, you edit the website, you edit your catalog so you can get the next ones. Yeah, some people might have a overly romanticized view of uh, the life of a travel photographer is <laughs> going from country to country never stopping always taking photos but i guess there's a lot of churn and a lot of uh, mundane yeah. chores to, to do like marketing contacting people it's editing percent business to photography split you yeah. know you, you need to get out there and shoot and do and when you're gone, you are. You're spending the whole time shooting, and I may be three weeks on the road, and that's my mode. But then when I come back, everything needs to be about editing and fine-tuning and curating the vision and you know, going through 12,000 photos and trying to make them into 20. <laughs> yep. Editing is not easy. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a tricky part, and it, uh, it pains you sometimes, you know? It's a cut down to the best of the best of the best. <laughs> yep. Um... What's on your bucket list? Where would you like to go next? Ooh, I, I've got a, a few destinations that have kind of always uh, hit close to home to me that I haven't uh, been able to knock off yet. Uh, I'd love to get to Antarctica, of course, because that would finish all seven continents for me. Um, and just the sort of, I don't know, the escape of it. It would be a little bit different than what I do because I normally look for people when I travel and not quite so many people in Antarctica. Um, mm -hmm. but maybe I can find a way to head down to actually a, a research station and do portraiture of the you, people. You field. might start in doing portraits of penguins. There's, yeah. I hear there's a lot of them there. I could try penguin portraits. I'm not sure they'd sit too still for me, but <laughs> I, I'd actually th think it would be an amazing project to uh, go down there and do a portrait project of the researchers, the people who lived seasonally down in Antarctica. That would be an interesting element um, to me to do that. But um, there, uh, I've, uh, I've wanted to go to Mongolia for quite a long time, and I had two years ago um, an organization I was working with that, unfortunately, the funding fell out for us, and I would have lived with a group of nomads uh, for about two to three months, and it would have been completely off the grid <laughs> on everything. And, uh, you know, we would have brought the solar power kit out there to recharge the cameras, and the idea of it would be to live and work with them and document what's sort of like the last nomadic culture is like. It's one of the very few last ones. And the transition they're undergoing now with more and more modernization comes in for a way of life that before this has essentially remained unchanged for a thousand years. Yeah, Mongolia has got to be awesome. I mean, uh... yeah, I enjoy those destinations that sort of bring you back to um, cultures that have been around and established a long time and resisted modernization um but sometimes they're they're grapple with it now and how do you see that um but i guess it's sort of a it's a an older more romantic way of viewing the world <laughs> but uh you know that's my, that's what i look for yep so we're looking forward to to see your next photos from antarctica and mongolia <laughs> maybe next year keep, keep a look at it it'll get there eventually i've got time still <laughs> yeah you've got time so uh it's time to to wrap up our uh, interesting conversation uh so is there anything else you might uh want to to add um, you know i think uh, like i said for me um when you when you approach travel photography you see a lot of people who go there and just throw their cameras in people's faces and this and that uh, to keep in mind 
to sort of be a good steward of the photo community. That that's re- like travel photography should come out of a place of uh, respect for the people and the culture you're going to. Uh, it's something that you enjoy being there, you love seeing it, and that's why you want to capture that and share that with others. So I always encourage um, new photographers, veterans, anything like that to uh, you know approach your photography and approach your travel that way to to be a part of the experience and um, you know to make friends, be someone they would want to stay in contact with versus uh, uh, another photographer who's come and just clicked my photo and walked away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that's definitely a good suggestion. So thank you for mentioning that. Yep. Um, where can people go to find you online if they want to know uh, more they can about go you? To, um, uh, mattdutile.com, my website, is probably the best source of it. So it's M-A-T-T-D-U-T-I-L-E.com. Um, and that'll have, uh, you know, a good collection of my work and my contact information and uh, other links where they can find me on, you know, Instagram or things like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links on, on the show notes to all of your online presences so people Perfect. can follow you wherever they find it more convenient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wherever their medium of choice is, uh, they can find me. Okay, so thanks for being with us. Uh, it's Thank been you. extremely interesting and um encouraging me to to travel to, to places that I've, I haven't seen yet and I hope it's <laughs> it's going to be the same for our audience so thanks thanks again Perfect. and uh, take care have a happy holidays merry christmas or however thanks, you want to well. celebrate your uh, festivities yep and thank you very much and you're welcome bye goodbye <laughs>